Spark Media presents Cosmic Creatures by Jason Kent Nord. Performed for you by Adam Anagnostu, Mike Kelly, John Yonker, and Luke Langfeld. Sound design by Dan Steffens. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the episode notes for more detailed descriptions. And now, episode four, Reaction. Chaos is a powerful inhibitor. Amidst the fear and excitement, the horror and achievement, and the dread and hope all fighting for my attention, I feel adrift on waves of confusion and anxiety. I don't know which way to turn. I need a set of emotions to prevail and anchor me so I can get a handle on the questions, make decisions, conduct assessments, and take swift executive actions. But I guess a frustrated sense of urgency will do. Time to survey the damage and get the list. Leaving the control center, Officer Lutz and the kids follow me as we navigate cautiously through the shattered glass and scattered office remnants on our way to the lobby. Upon entering, I can hardly recognize it. The entire space is immersed in a state of disarray. The semicircular reception desk, usually a welcoming beacon, is splintered at one end and a broken blinking monitor hangs by its power cord over the other end. On the floor behind it, a lower-level engineer is wrapping a lab coat around the bloodied right arm of our beloved receptionist, Patty. Patty! I call out, and hurriedly make my way to her side. The engineer wrapping her arm awkwardly shifts to the side, allowing me to join them. And Patty glances up at me with shock in her eyes. What happened? She queries with far more fear than curiosity. I open my mouth, but words of explanation escape me and I just shrug and redirect. Are you okay? I can't look away from the red-stained makeshift bandage. I'll be fine, she reflexively assures me with as much of her trademark cheer as she can muster amidst her confusion. Her positive pretenses evaporate as she follows my gaze to her arm. The engineer, whose name escapes me, pulls the bandage a bit too tight. Patty's face pinches with pain, jolting my own anxiety and turmoil. She could have been killed. My kids could have been killed. I could have been killed. Holy shit! I hear a voice say from behind me. I turn to see Nick moving toward a creature the size of a Great Dane. It's lying motionless and splayed out below a splattering of rust-colored stains on the back wall behind it. Fatal bullet wounds on the creature's furry turquoise torso ooze an orange goo that turns the color of rust as it's exposed to the air. Nick, Ellie cautions, directing her brother to turn closer to me. Nobody says anything. We just stand there, stunned, staring at this disturbing and fascinating beast. Its footless, spindly legs, seemingly ill-suited for the lobby floor, must have given security officers time to subdue it. I can't seem to look away. It's not only the morbid urge to gawk at devastation, like a motorist passing a serious car wreck, it's the call of discovery. This incredible specimen is a real alien lying right there, in the flesh. So badly do I want to rush over and study every aspect of it. I'm standing at ground zero of the first contact with alien life. This is a landmark moment in scientific history. And yet, it'll have to wait. I involuntarily turned toward Kale, whose genius sparked this explosion. 
He stands off to the side, clutching himself in abject devastation. The poor kid meets my gaze, and it feels like a sucker punch to see the emotions clouding his eyes. It's a mix of both horror and guilt. I almost wish Nancy were here. She'd know how to comfort him. And yet I'm thankful she's nowhere near QLI. We're not out of danger. Achievement is not supposed to be like this. Death, destruction, disarray, they're not welcome variables. Witnessing a historic advance in science is not supposed to include witnessing calamity. So much for celebration. Oh my, I hear Ellie murmur. My eyes follow hers and land on the most ominous sign of devastation. The shattered plexiglass vestibule and busted doorways leading out into the outside world. Oh God, I exhale and run a shaking hand through my hair. Every life on earth may now be in mortal danger. These cosmic creatures are loose in an uncontained world. That world-shifting gravity refocuses me. Priorities, Elliot. I have an immediate task, as menial as it may be, to get that printout. Follow me, I say to the kids and Officer Lutz. I pick up the pace, nearly running toward my office. I hear the others fall into a jog behind me as I begin explaining things to our head security officer. We sent a printout of the bioscans to my office. Bioscans? Officer Lutz asks. Yes, profiles of all of them. We need it copied, scanned, and distributed to everyone. We need to account for every last exhibit. We need a full quarantine inside a huge perimeter. The danger is not just the threat of bloodied bodies and bashed skulls from wild alien animals. It's the microscopic predators now set loose upon our planet. Bacteria, viruses, fungi, protozoa. These biological threats demand our foremost attention. We need to capture these creatures, dead or alive, and as quickly as possible. What I don't say is that it's likely very futile. Much like putting a genie back into a bottle or the irreversibility once Pandora's box is open, our problems may lack viable solutions. I resist giving the next instruction, but what had been unthinkable ten minutes ago is now unavoidable. Notify the Pentagon, I order as we reach my office door. Officer Lutz nearly crashes into me, dumbfounded. Dr. Hagen, are you sure? Before opening the partially ajar door, I turn to him. We already have two mutilated creatures lying exposed outside of a sealed lab. We're not wearing hazmat gear. I hesitate to be so forthright in front of the kids, but I guess they should understand too. We're likely already infected by any airborne microorganisms that have been exhaled, expelled, and shed all down the hallway and throughout the lobby. Uh, yeah, but... Officer Lutz's grave expression finishes the question. The possibility of involving the military breaks every directive he's ever understood. We've skillfully kept government eyes at bay for the last several years. It's not that we're doing anything wrong. It's just that government bureaucracies won't break out new red tape and overregulate our groundbreaking technologies, costing us time and money and alerting competition, if they don't fully understand what we're up to. Our investors may kill me, but now it's necessary. More lives than mine are at stake. Call them, I reassert with a grimace. Uh, I'll call them immediately. A loud crash rings out from within my office. Something's in there. Officer Lutz swiftly draws his gun. He signals me to step aside. I comply and he takes a deep breath, 
braces himself, and bursts through the doorway. I follow in closely behind and spot Cindy, my secretary, cowering in the far corner. She's silent and wide-eyed. Seeing her and not some hostile beast pulls me back from the edge of a fear cliff. Lutz relaxes too, but Cindy remains frozen with fright even as she notices us. Cindy, I prod, it's okay now, we... An instantaneous, full-bodied flood of fear and adrenaline consumes me as I realize she's looking out at us, but above us. A sudden, terrible, animalistic hiss showers down on us. Officer Lutz and I whip around and are confronted by the same little gremlin-like creature that hissed at us earlier. It hangs from the ceiling above the doorframe. In a flash, it swings down at us. Lutz and I duck, and it swings through the door out into the hallway, crash landing on Ellie's shoulder. Ellie shrieks as it springs off her. Officer Lutz and I burst into the hallway to see it bouncing furiously down the hall like a rabid marmoset. Lutz takes a shot. He misses, and the bastard disappears around the corner to the lobby and exit. Its likely escape doesn't match the horror it wreaked on my daughter, who is my immediate concern. I rush over to her and grab her face in my hands, examining her frantically. She stares back, too stunned to speak. Ellie, are you okay? Are you hurt? Did it bite you or, or scratch you or... I trail off as she touches a trembling hand to her shoulder where it had briefly perched. I pull her hand away and inspect several small rips in her shirt. I frantically, and perhaps a little too aggressively, pull up her short sleeve to see if its claws broke skin. Dad! Ellie complains, rebalancing herself. I ignore her and focus on a pair of scratches across her skin. I wipe at them with my thumb as if hoping that could rub them away. I stare intently, waiting to see if blood has been drawn. It's fine! It barely hurts! Ellie assures me. While I can breathe, slightly reassured that there's no blood, all I can think of is microbes finding their way in. The first aid kit on this floor should contain a wound cleanser. I need to find it soon. Tell me you have it! Tell me it's there! We hear Dr. Mintz's voice as she comes running up behind Nick and Kale in the hallway. The printout! I rush to my printer, which sits on the desk above where Cindy remains in a state of shock. I silently curse, seeing her poor state. She too deserves some attention, but there's no time. There's too much to triage. Someone else will need to comfort her. Cindy! Patty needs you, chimes Dr. Mintz in her usual blunt but smart manner. This seems to pull Cindy out of her stupor, and she mumbles something incoherently, moving toward the door. Dr. Mintz pats her on the shoulder and sends her on her way, then returns to Riley mutter, Workers' Comp Claim Number 2. The printer tray holds a number of pages. I grab them up and inspect the last page to confirm they all printed. All 37 exhibits, I announce. Dr. Mintz locks onto me with an intense stare. Elliot, we need you working on that bioscanner. As much as I hate the idea that I need to go focus on some equipment issue, I can't object. We need to understand how many creatures got out and which ones. That means performing another scan of the capture bay to see which of the 37 are still in there. As much as I want to do a million other things, having set up the original scanner, this is my task to tackle. I stifle the urge to let out a petulant curse. Dr. Mintz has an order for Officer Lutz, too. We need to... The military, interrupts Officer Lutz. I'm on it. Dr. Mintz must have had something else in mind. What? 
Her eyes nearly bulge out of her head. No, 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 no. We can handle this. We have biologicals on the loose, Luann, I argue. We have no fucking choice. She doesn't seem to know what to say at first. I'm ready to debate, but her response is delayed and ultimately concessional. Already? She laments. The horses, or whatever the hell they are, are out of the barn, I reply. Containment is paramount. I begin to move on, physically undertaking the tasks at hand, when Dr. Mintz reverts to her loud, charismatic self. You know, she says, smiling, we just made history. She turns toward Kale and takes a prolonged moment to admire the boy for the incredible discovery we all witnessed. She slowly nods and grants him a smile of respect. I also pause, looking to Kale, and offer a nod in agreement. But rather than sheepish acceptance, I see only bleakness and pain clouding his eyes. Finally, a real-world mission. That the excitement is muted by doubts, it's probably a false alarm. There's also the anxiety that it could be real, that I'll be in harm's way. You know, on second thought, I'm not sure I like this. Lately, I've been regretting my attachment to Halo Force. Endless drills, one after another, prepping for all manner of far-fetched crap that'll likely never happen during my career. Nuclear power plant leaks, chemical plant explosions, contagious disease outbreaks, all that nasty shit. And then there's the truly batshit scenarios. Zombie apocalypses, alien contact, and rabid animal uprisings. God help humanity if any of those ever do happen. Like, if this supposed situation is one. Colonel Harstad sent out the real-world command code, but no word on the mission classification. I have no clue what we're up against. But we're mobilizing. It's gotta be a false alarm or some minuscule chemical spill or radiation leak that's been blown way out of proportion. Or at least I hope so. Suddenly, I'm not interested in dying of radiation or chemical poisoning. Just give me something to shoot at. Scanning the scene, the stealth and conventional helicopters whirring into action, the trucks zigzagging from all directions into a neat line, and the soldiers sprinting towards both. I look for the one guy who matters most. Ah, there he is, the cranky old bastard. Always loud-mouthed and all business. Move it, move it, Colonel Harstad barks. We've got an Alpha-6 containment, isolate and exterminate. Alpha-6? <laughs> yeah, right. I'll believe it when I see it. Colonel, tell me you didn't just say Alpha-6? I lightly challenge. His shrug indicates a you-heard-what-I-said confirmation. By the book, Major Rocky, he adds, using his signature style of always using rank and name when almost everyone else only uses rank. Alpha-6 is pure bullcrap. Alpha, meaning alien. Six, meaning containment of creatures. Alpha-1 would have been intelligent hostiles. Uh, two, intelligent non-hostiles. Three, intelligence or intent undetermined. And four, UFO. But five and six are crazy town. An open portal to another world and loose alien creatures. In reality, it's probably somebody's pet tiger or 
a diseased lab monkey on the loose. Nothing a Trank or 50 Cal won't solve. Uh, the script for Alpha 6 largely escapes me. There haven't been training exercises for it in some time. The fact that training never existed for such a fantasy had always annoyed me. Establishing a containment zone is about all I remember. Is there even a full book to go by, sir? I ask the colonel. There always is, Major Rogi, he replies. Looks like you get a retirement party after all, sir. I just before leaning into a sprint toward my ride. Poor bastard only has two days left. And part of me wonders if someone is pulling a gag on him. And if so, part of me wishes I'd thought of it first. Out with a bang! I hear him holler. I smirk. Let's hope that only applies to him and his retirement. All my life, I've struggled with my invisibility. I've relished the sanctuary it provides for my awkward freakishness, while lamenting the detachment I feel when it seems nobody really sees me. But never have I so desperately craved it as much as I do right now. Climbing into the back seat of the Quantum Lab's security vehicle, Ellie and I make momentary eye contact, and the unabashed bewilderment in her eyes pains me. It's the first time she has seen me as a freak. So, it's unanimous now. It was a stupid crush anyway. If I must continue to exist, I want to be alone and hidden far from the judging eyes that will forever latch onto me. But I'm definitely visible now, and I'm not feeling like myself. I guess it's another out-of-body experience. Except this time, instead of my soul, it's the emotions that have left me. And you know what? They're not welcome back. If I allowed any to return, I think I'd fracture. I've become an empty human shell, barely hanging on as it is. One more side glance away from a straitjacket. Already painfully visible, I glance at Nick, who's climbing into the front passenger seat. He too looks at me with stunned and silent questions. Dr. Hagen shuts Nick's door and leans down to speak through the open window. I called Mom. She's visiting Aunt Anne, and I told her to stay there in Ashland for now. You kids stay put at home. Call me as soon as you get there, okay? And don't forget. We won't, Ellie responds. Yeah, no problem there, Nick agrees. Ellie, if you start feeling ill, anything at all, you call me. Dr. Hagen orders sternly, eyeing her scratched arm with a furrowed brow. I look too and can't help but feel sick, knowing it's my fault. Yeah, I will. She says, dismissing the possibility to herself. I'm serious, Ellie, he warns. Okay, okay, she concedes. I'll call you. Dr. Hagen now looks squarely at me. Charitable kindness resides in his eyes as he tries to assuage me. Don't worry, Kale, he says softly. It was an accident, and a pretty damn amazing one, too. Nick's and Ellie's eyes are back on me. In the rearview mirror, I see that Officer Lutz, in the driver's seat, is also sizing me up. His confused surprise indicates he is only now hearing that I had some role in this catastrophe. I don't look away from anyone. I have nowhere to hide. Dr. Hagen breaks up the gawkfest by handing Nick and Ellie their phones back. Stay off social media, Dr. Hagen orders. Not a word. He then nods to Officer Lutz, silently thanking him and begging for a quick passage home all in one look. As he steps back... Officer Lutz sets his copy of the bioscan printouts down on the center console. 
between himself and Nick, and then puts the SUV in gear. We pull out onto the rural roadway at a brisk pace. Lutz's copy of the master printout slides backward on the center console, and Ellie reaches out to catch it. She catches it in time and begins perusing the pages. I watch as the astonishment grows in her expression. Holy crap, she mutters. Nick peers back at her. Let me see. She hands Nick a couple of the pages while continuing to look. Officer Lutz eyes this activity and I see in the rearview mirror that he wants to say something. But then checks himself. He's clearly uncomfortable that the critical papers are out of his control. We all saw as much, or more than he did, and while treating us like nosy kids might be his instinct, he must realize it doesn't fit this situation. We'll be out of his hair soon enough and he'll get to rejoin everyone else in the search for the exhibits. As for me, I don't need to see the sketches and dimensions. I just want to be whisked away from all this. Where's that angel when I need it? I stare out of the windshield from the back seat. Forrest flanks the two-lane road close enough that it provides a welcome tunnel vision that my brain can handle. Nothing to see but an oncoming delivery truck. And then that slice of normalcy is stolen. When something bounds onto the roadway into the path of the delivery truck. What the? Officer Lutz blurts. I recognize it from the monitor back at the lab. It's that puce octomonkey. And judging from its posturing, it seems to think he can confront the truck. I watch the moment play out in slow motion. The truck blares its horn before it swerves violently into our lane. Lutz slams the brakes and I'm propelled forward, my seatbelt locking and cutting into my chest. The octo-monkey springs up with incredible power and athleticism, jumping high off the pavement and out of sight into the woods. The truck hopelessly overcorrects back towards its own lane, only to fishtail, topple, and crash hard onto its side. It blocks the whole road and slides toward us with an alarming screech. The noise as we collide is a frightful mashup of scraping metal on pavement, crumpling steel, shattering glass, and crunching car components. The cacophony crescendos with a deafening ring of nothingness as I stop processing the world around me. The violence of the impact turns out the lights. My brain lingers in the blackness of shock, struggling to reboot losing all concept of time and reality. I have a sensation that this isn't supposed to be how this goes. I've experienced this collision before and it was extracted from it by a near-death state. The absence of that experience now confuses me. I can only wait in darkness to understand the toll. Smells come to me first. Smoke mixed with airbag powder and burnt automotive fluids. Some sound waves seem to bleed through, but... It's as if I'm underwater, and they're coming from the surface. As they clear up, I realize they're low moans. Then, dim light returns. Movement comes from both front seats and next to me. We are all here, surrounded by deployed airbags, seemingly all whole. Alive, at least for the moment. I wonder if I'm injured. We all seem to be in self-assessment mode, grunting and trying to breathe. Ugh. Is everyone okay? Officer Lutz finally speaks, but his focus is on getting out, rather than any replies. The creaking of his crumpled door and the accompanying flood of light preempt any responses. He stumbles out of the vehicle. The rest of us follow suit, grabbing for our door handles. I unbuckle and fumble around for mine, and once I find the latch, I push it open and nearly fall out of the SUV. I'm surprised, for some reason, that my first sight is my foot hitting the roadway's yellow center lines. Dumbly, I think that I need to hurry and get off the road, 
or I might get hit. It takes a solid 5 to 10 seconds to realize traffic won't be an issue given the mangled roadblock. Is everyone all right? Officer Lutz reiterates with better command of his faculties. I'm not sure if he knows that he is bleeding from a cut on his forehead. Peachy, Ellie replies. Seemingly satisfied that she's actually okay, she sarcastically adds, Great times. Just lit. That was most definitely not lit. Nick adds irritably. I say nothing. I just look at Officer Lutz. I wasn't okay before, and I won't say so now. Up ahead on the road, the delivery driver is pulling himself up through the passenger window of his wrecked truck, which remains on its side. Absurdly, his preoccupation is not on the collision or anyone's condition, including his own. Did you see it? He calls, hobbling over to us, his eyes wild. Did you see that thing? Officer Lutz seems to shift into security guard mode, dismissively acknowledging, We saw it. The puzzled man looks over, trying to make sense of three kids accompanying a security vehicle from the local lab facility. Lutz reaches into the vehicle and emerges with a handheld radio, along with his copy of the printout that he folds and jams into a pocket in his jacket. He puts the radio to his mouth and speaks. All units. All units. Unit 1 is disabled and in need of assistance. Target encountered. Vehicle collision one mile west of facility. A response rings out of the radio. Negative on assistance, Unit 1. All units presently engaged. Officer Lutz's jaw clenches, and I watch his Adam's apple bob in alarm. He doesn't say anything for a beat, but he finally and simply replies, Roger, and switches off the radio. What kind of animal was that? You saw it, right? Asks the anxious delivery driver, fidgeting with his hands. Yeah, I don't know, replies Officer Lutz, but he looks to us rather than trying to explain. Nick, Ellie, and I all look at each other, but none of us say anything. Well, looks like we're walking, kids. Come on. He turns to continue down the road. Not that way, calls Nick. Officer Lutz stops and turns to look at him, eyebrow raised. Through the woods is a lot shorter, Nick explains. Kale and I know the way. No way, Ellie protests. That... That thing went that way. Nick gives it a moment of real consideration, but then shrugs. He has a gun, he says, pointing at Officer Lutz. Officer Lutz silently accepts the wisdom, unholsters his gun, and holds it safely at his side for a moment before turning towards the woods and gesturing for Nick to lead the way. Hey, you need to wait for the police, calls the delivery driver. You go ahead, dismisses Officer Lutz, not eager to engage the guy. He waves his hand as if he were bored with concern. All the info's in the glove box. Sorry, man, it's an emergency, Nick offers as he forges ahead. Officer Lutz follows Nick down into the narrow ditch and into the woods. Ellie gives me a look that says, you go first. And so I go. I normally feel at home in the woods. It's where I retreat from my troubles. But now, everything is different. On top of not being able to return to my actual house, and having become a burden on my friend and his family, I've also unleashed into these woods, into my woods, a potential threat that could destroy the ecosystem and every facet of my life. Hell. Of everyone's lives. This feeling of doom and gloom consumes me, and I can't help but feel like we're dead men and, girl, walking. Despite these bleak thoughts, 
I survey my surroundings with a curious eye, on the lookout for any signs of the intruding creatures that could be lurking anywhere. I search for signs of them, for signs of their impact on my beloved woods. I half expect to come across some mutilated deer or rabbit, but then it occurs to me, if I were them, and I had been abducted and let loose on some strange planet, my first instinct would not be to eat some creature I've never seen before. I think I would go hungry for a while. I think I would hide. Might leave some droppings, though. Now every snap of a twig practically scares the crap out of me. It's not just me. We're all a little jumpy. So when the bush crackles somewhere nearby, we all flinch and freeze. This time, it's just a very earthly rabbit bounding away from us. It hasn't been anything's dinner. Yet. I glance at Officer Lutz to see his reaction, and to my surprise, I find that he's intently looking at me. But it's not a judging look. It's like he's concerned for me. You okay, kid? I just nod, avert my gaze to my feet, and trudge forward. Hold up a minute, Lutz says. I stop and instantly grow ever more anxious about what he wants. I can't handle any questions right now. You seem like a good kid, he continues. All of you do. I gather this was all some incredible accident. I know what it's like to have a shitstorm-inducing accident, except mine was born out of stupidity, not whatever brilliance this was. This, well, this is something all right. What? You mean you've never had aliens running around before? Nick cracks. No, Officer Letts replies. But I did have to save a bookkeeper from a bobcat once. At QLI? Allie asks, and I find I'm a bit curious, too. Yeah, right in the parking lot. She got out of her car and hardly made it five steps, and this thing pounced. Luckily, I was there to see it. Did you shoot it? Nick asks. Not right away. I couldn't risk hitting her. I just charged it, yelling and screaming, and it left her and went under her car. But I couldn't shoot with vehicles and gas tanks and people around, so I called in, and they came out with a broom. We chased the thing, and it ran over and hid behind some tanks by the building. That thing was vicious. Not sure if it was rabies or whatnot, but it wasn't acting right. Finally, someone brought out the leftover steak they brought for lunch. We tossed it nearby where we had a clean shot. We went for it, and we got it. Sad, Ellie comments. Yeah, somebody went hungry for lunch that day, Nick jokes. Waste of good steak, Officer Lutz agrees with a grin. The bookkeeper lady was thankful, though. Nice soldier lady. She baked me a batch of cookies. What kind? Nick asks. Oatmeal raisin. Ugh. Shit deal. Nick grimaces, sticking his tongue out. Hey, I like them. Counters Lutz. Anyway, speaking of shit deals, I don't mean to poke and pry, but I'd love to be clued in on this accident. I completely freeze up and look away again. How do I even... Kale fixed their experiment. Nick chimes in. Yeah, my dumbass brother here left the lid open on the launch button, and someone fell on it, Ellie adds. <laughs> and I thought I warned you kids to stay out of trouble, Lutz softly chides. Seemingly satisfied with the few details, he gestures and gets us all moving again. But more to stroll. Did you shoot that thing in the lobby, too? Nick asks. Lutz nods. Pretty good shot, huh? Nick says. You must be a hunter. Not anymore, Officer Lutz says grimly. Not since that mistake I told you about. Oof, that can't be a good story, I consider. It's only mildly comforting to know that I'm not the only one with a heavy plight. 
but mostly it just makes me sad. Why is this world such a cruel place? A sudden burst of loud cawing steals our attention. Our heads whip around in near unison to find a very normal raven mocking us. I try to shake the nerves off. Still, I can't help being reminded of those radical raven-like things from the lab. Damn, these woods have never been like this before, Nick comments. At least it's not just me who feels that way. This change in the woods is just another thing I'll forever feel horrible about when my full capacity for feelings returns. It's like a horror movie, Ellie observes. A young girl's scream rings out from up ahead. It freezes us once again for the moment it takes to comprehend. Officer Lutz races forward first, and we all sprint after him, suddenly appreciating the security he represents. Stop! Stop it! The girl squeals between her wordless screams. Coming up to the crest of a rise in our path, I swallow hard, bracing for the sight of some little girl being mauled by some alien creature. The animalistic squawks and cackles now reaching us don't bode well. When it comes into view, I'm completely unprepared for the sight. It's not a little girl at all. It's Fitch. He's frantically hobbling from one large rock or log to the next in a frightful tizzy, trying to evade a feisty little creature at his feet. It patters after him, noisily gaggling, honking, and snapping at his ankles. It's an angry, deformed duck, with a head and neck that can lash out in any direction. It lacks fangs, claws, or any obvious weapons beyond its attitude, but Fitch is in tears. When his watery eyes spy us, he calls out in a high pitch, Help me! It takes us a moment to take full stock of this critter. The devilish duck's mouth is round with flaccid tissue that vibrates open with each noise. It doesn't appear to have a jaw or any biting ability. Its short legs connect to the center of circular, clawless feet, and it appears to not have any arms or other appendages. It cannot fly or climb, and its reach is low to the ground. As it squabbles and waddles about, prompting continuous whines and squeals from Fitch, we relax a bit. In fact, we exchange quickly emerging grins, so the urge to laugh takes hold. Oh, Fitch, Nick teases. Looks like you got a new friend. Get it away from me! Fitch shouts. It's not funny! But it is. And a welcome relief washes over me so quickly that I involuntarily let out a laugh. Doing so immediately feels wrong. Like I just let out a fart in class. I see Ellie with a hand to her mouth, trying to suppress giggles. Nick just beams as Fitch continues to sob in sheer terror at the cute little cosmic duck. While Fitch's emotional state may be amusing, I'm increasingly intrigued by the duck. It shouldn't be too hard to capture. My mind races with all we could learn from it. I don't see Officer Lutz pointing the gun until the <laughs> sends a shockwave through my body. Lutz's face is impassive. He doesn't so much as exhale as he sends a second shot straight into the ducky critter's body, <laughs> sending it flopping onto its side a foot away, where it lies motionless and quiet. A small gush of orange blood squirts out from the entry wound, some dribbling down its belly. Oh, thank God. Fitch says, scrambling over to us with jittery relief. Ellie, Nick, and I all reel from the stunning horror and stand aghast. You killed it, Ellie protests softly. I agree with Ellie's sentiment. Killing it so ruthlessly seemed rash and unnecessary. These creatures may not be from our planet, but they are still living beings. It wasn't the little guy's fault it was here. It was mine. Fitch, on the other hand, fosters no such sentiment and is breathlessly traumatized by the whole alien encounter. What was that thing? His voice is still unnecessarily shrieky. That little guy? 
Nick answers, shaking his head. That was nothing. Fitch is understandably dumbfounded. Officer Lutz turns and notices that Ellie and I are still sharing appalled reactions. Sorry, kids, he says. Look, these things may be more dangerous than they seem. They don't belong here. Wait, what do you mean, things? There's more? Fitch's voice goes impossibly higher. We were at Dad's lab in Kale. Nick starts. I wince. I can tell Nick regrets going there as he rephrases. There was an accident. All these creatures from another planet appeared, and now they're loose. Fitch gawks, stupefied. Nick sighs, recognizing how outrageous that sounded. He can only back it up with an unyielding stare to convince Fitch he's telling the truth. Ellie interrupts the moment. You can't just kill it like that, she says to Officer Lutz. It might be the only one that humans will ever see, I say, taking Ellie's side. Officer Lutz sighs. As much as he's tried to be cool, I suspect that he has no desire to be babysitting us and to have to explain himself to some kids. I watch his facial expression morph as he searches for the best response. Look, I don't think of it as killing a... whatever it was. Think of it as saving our animals and our families. Could be carrying deadly germs. Doesn't belong here. We do. What is going on? Fitch finally exclaims, incredulous of this whole conversation. No one in our group says anything. We hope you've enjoyed Cosmic Creatures, a Spark Media production. This program was directed and executive produced by H.G. Zeisler, featuring the voice talents of Adam Anagnostu as Kale Rhodes, Mike Kelly as Russell Rhodes, John Yonker as Dr. Elliot Hagen, and Luke Langfelt as Major Roggy. Text copyright 2022 by Jason Kent Nord. Illustrations including cover and episode art by Meredith Tuvey. Sound design by Dan Steffens. Story edits by Emily Nord and H.G. Zeisler. A special thanks to our founding Spark storytellers. Rest assured that no animals, cosmic or earthly, were harmed in the production of this episode. Enjoyed what you heard? Check out more Spark stories and find out more about Spark Media on our website, sparkmedia.com. That's S-P-R-Q-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Spark Media. Links in episode notes. Interested in telling stories? Apply to be a Spark storyteller today. We're looking for writers, editors, composers, voice talent, and more. It takes a village to tell a story, and we need you. Link in episode notes. Audio production copyright 2024 by Spark Media LLC, all rights reserved.